I was doing, did a little bit of research this week. Do you want to know what the top five things that people give up for Lent are? If you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway, so I don't really know why I asked that. Um, correct, Toby. Number one on the list, chocolate. Who wants to know what the second thing on the list is apparently this year? It's not alcohol. It's not social media. Apparently, it's meat. Mm, I was a bit surprised by that. So the top five things are, in no particular order, uh, coffee, um, sorry, chocolate, meat, coffee, fizzy drinks, and takeaways. <laughs> All related to food. I found that quite, um, quite amusing. Um, uh, lots of things that people do give up for Lent, but those three are particular, I, th- I think, you know, they're, they're ones to do with the self, the self, aren't they? They're going to make you probably a little bit healthier, perhaps, if you give up those things, uh, maybe even financially. Depends how often you have takeaways, but that would certainly um, probably impact your bank balance too. And there's nothing wrong with giving up something that's going to make you healthier, is there, for Lent? But there's other things you can give up. I'm going to share with you something that I've given up. I've given up playing on my PlayStation 4 for Lent. There's only 36 days to go now, not that I'm counting. Um, so I'm four days in, ne- nearly five. But I thought I'd confess to you, so if you see me sort of twitch and start shaking, you know why I'm on, I'm on withdrawal symptoms. Um, but the original point of Lent, if you, if you're, if you didn't know this, uh, about giving up things, uh, was it was kind of a test of self-discipline. Um, and a reminder that you're not reliant on something that you enjoy, but rather to try and make you more reliant on God, make you more dependent on God. It's sort of a reminder of what Jesus did at the start of his ministry in these 40 days up to to Easter. We remember what Jesus did right at the start. He was out in the wilderness for 40 days and literally just relied on God to sustain him in those times. So giving something up for Lent is not really about making ourselves healthier, really. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that, but it's primarily about doing something that's going to make us more reliant on God. One of the things I'm hoping to do and have actually managed to do so far is in the uh, when I don't play my PlayStation 4, instead of just not doing something, is to do something else instead, to spend more time in prayer. And that's what I have been uh, doing. And it's been really good, and I've enjoyed it so far. So we've been covering this prayer series. And before we really get into this, sort of this asking tonight, I just wanted to sort of say this, this opportunity at the start of Lent. If you haven't yet make some time during Lent to become more reliant on God in prayer. Give up something that makes you, will make you more dependent on him or take up something like prayer that makes you more reliant on him. Another quick question. This is a bit trickier than have you given up something for Lent. How reliant do you actually think you are on God? If you had to rate yourself on a scale of zero, not reliant at all, to 10, totally reliant, couldn't do anything without him, couldn't survive without him, day by day, where would you put yourself on that scale? 
And what could you do to take yourself perhaps a step further in greater reliance on God? I think one of the things you can do to become more reliant, more dependent on God, as we've been chatting about in this whole series, is prayer. I think one of the key markers on how you relate yourself, uh, how you're going to rank yourself on that scale of 0 to 10, how reliant you are on God, one of the key things you can look at is actually how often do you pray? Because if you're more reliant on God, I think you'll more readily be somebody that prays, that talks, and waits for God to speak back to them regularly. That is a key sign of reliance. Prayer, or one of the key things about prayer, is about asking God. And I've got three things I want to share with you tonight, three core principles about how God expects us to ask him in prayer. And I think their three principles, if we take hold, will help us all become more reliant on God and perhaps take a step from wherever we are on our journey in reliance on God, a step closer to him. I want to say at the start, uh, we're just talking about asking God primarily tonight. And uh, I know there's lots of questions sometimes around asking God is what do we do when God doesn't answer prayers? And we're not really going to touch that tonight, not because next week we're going to have a whole sermon on that, how to deal with disappointment in God in, in not answering prayers. But tonight we're going to just sort of look at how do we come before God and ask him. There are things in the Bible that talk about unanswered prayer as well, so, um, but I don't want to jump into that tonight. So the first thing I think about asking God in prayer that I want to talk about is uh, when we ask God in prayer, we want to come before God with boldness. We want to be bold. I honestly think that many of the problems that we have in prayer are often because we're too timid in our prayer. Not necessarily with what we pray for, but um, actually how we pray. We don't stand before God with a level of boldness and clarity of what we want from him. God wants us to be bold. I don't know if you've ever known this about the Lord's Prayer, but the model, that, um, the, the model of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, which was the Lord's Prayer, which we know as the Lord's Prayer, uh, the response that, they gave, um, that Jesus gave to them when they said, teach us to pray, is actually full of commands before to God. You have the opening line, our Father in heaven, which reminds us that we have this loving God who we're related to, who cares for us like a loving Father, our Father in heaven. Then in, in Greek, the word is a, a command. It's hallowed, make your name holy, God. It's a command that you're saying to God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, make your kingdom come. That's kind of almost what it is like in Greek. Your will be done. God, would your will be done? It's a command to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're commanding God right from the start about these things. And, and then the, the line at the center of the prayer is, give us today our daily bread. A strong 
request to God to give you what you need that day. Notice it says us there as well. It's not just prayer for ourselves. It's also uh, what's become known as intercessory prayer, which simply means prayer for others as well. We can pray for ourselves and we can pray for others. We're able to pray with boldness, with a confidence before God. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. And it's not just there in the Lord's Prayer either, sort of hidden a little bit perhaps in, in, in the translation. James says to some believers that are complaining he's sim- that, that God isn't providing for them. That, and he says simply to them in, in the book of James, you do not have because you do not ask. And listen to Jesus' words recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll get to our reading tonight in a, in a, in a moment. If a son shall ask any, if a son shall ask any of you, um, oh, oh, sorry, if a son shall ask his father for a for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those? who ask him. I don't know if any of you have come across uh, small children. I remember my children are growing up a bit. Uh, but when they're really small, small children are really good at making their feelings known about what they want, aren't they? They're very clever in their boldness, in, in, yeah, in just coming fearless, asking every time you used to go to shop, I want this, can I have this, Dad? Can I have this, Mum? used to go to Ada because Ada was perhaps a bit softer than me. But they used to just go and ask what, what, they, what they wanted. They didn't always get, but they, they went and asked. And I think as we grow up and get adults, we sometimes we get a little bit more timid, perhaps because we've been rebutted or not got what we wanted enough times. We, we, we stop perhaps asking with the same level of boldness that we had when we were children. But I think Scripture encourages us to come before God boldly with our desires. One of the reasons I chose uh, the reading from Mark 9 that we had tonight was because I love the boldness of the Father in that story. He knows what he wants for his son. And he does not give up and he's not put off by all the, all the goings on that, that are around them. So the father takes his son, who is probably, we don't know exactly how old he is, but later on he says it's since he was a child. So there's almost a hint that perhaps his son is is quite old, maybe not classed as a child anymore. So, but anyway, his son's had this condition for a long time and he goes with a desire. He goes to Jesus' disciples, who incidentally have the authority uh, Jesus has already given them the authority to, to, to heal people and, and, and they have healed people. He takes his son to them to be healed and the disciples can't heal him. And it causes, we're told, this argument uh, between uh, the disciples and the teachers of the law. And it doesn't say what this argument is about, but uh, I did this at the four o'clock church and what I did is I got the disciples and the, and the teachers of the law to have a bit of an argument. And I think it was probably something along uh, the, the lines of a disciple saying, well, we can't figure out how, um, what's going on here, but 
Um, I'm sure that he will be healed. And the teachers of the law are probably saying, no, he can't be healed. You're, you know, you've messed up. Jesus is, can't do all this. He doesn't have power over this. And it's kind of this throwing and casting doubts and aspersions because teachers of the law didn't get on with Jesus um, very well. So you have this argument that's, that's being caused about why perhaps they can't uh, heal uh, this, this son. And Jesus comes back into this argument with probably the, uh, the teachers of the law poo-pooing the disciples. That's a technical term. What the disciples are, are, are doing. And everybody falls silent. And what we've got here is we've got Jesus has just been if you look before, Jesus has just been up and done some very holy thing. He's been, uh, it's a transfiguration on top of the mountain. He took three of his disciples with him. A very poignant moment. He's come back down. There's an argument going. There's a bit of an aura about Jesus, who he was. So this argument's happening. Everybody falls silent. So you've got the teachers of the law here that are well-respected members of the community, looked up to, think themselves very important. You've got, you've got those people there. You've got the, the, the 12 disciples and probably more, because Jesus took three disciples away with him, that are there that are really close friends with Jesus that he's been going around with. Jesus comes down and asks, what are you arguing about? Who is it that the Bible tells us that speaks up? It's the father of the son. He is the one that steps forward. He says, explains what's happening. He says, I want my son healed, and I haven't been able to heal him. And then you have this little uh, conversation and, and this request from the father in his boldness. He says, if you can do anything, take pity and help us. And I love what Jesus, or I think what Jesus reacts to in this, tells us in what the father says here, tells us a bit about the approach that God wants us to take. It reinforces what we've been talking about, about coming to boldness. Because Jesus takes issue with the word, one of the words that the Father says. Jesus says, if I can. Did you notice that? If you can, help us, have pity on it. And Jesus says, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. Jesus wants that father to come to him, to have a bold confidence in, in who he is and what he wants to do. Jesus wants us in our prayers to be bold and clear about what we want and expect from him. Too often we pray with caveats. Lord, if it's not too much trouble and if you've got the time, there's, um, there's this person at work that's really, really, uh, I find them quite irritating. So could you make it so circumstances happen that perhaps I don't have to speak to them much today? Why don't we just pray, Lord, there's this person that I can't seem to get on with at work. Please help me get on with them or please fix it, or whatever it is. Why not just pray that rather than all that other stuff around it? Tell God what you really want to happen. There's nothing, um, you know, sometimes with healing as well, I think, because um, that, that's what's going on in, the, in, this, in this passage. Um, if we want people to be healed, let's just 
we can pray for the doctors. That's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with praying for doctors to have wisdom. But if we want the person to be healed, let's just please just pray for that person to be healed. Lord, we want this person to be healed. Please heal them. If that's what you want, pray for it. And I think we should pray for it with boldness. And God does heal people through doctors. I'm not saying that he doesn't, and we can pray for that. But let's really tell God what we want and what we're expecting from him in the situation. And God may well choose to heal that person through the doctors. But let's just pray what we want. Pray boldly. But as we pray boldly, the second thing I think we need to do when we come and share our requests with God, we also need, we need to pray boldly, but we also need to pray with sort of personal humility as well. How do you pray boldly but with humility? Well, as well as being honest and asking for what you want, I think we also need to come with an attitude of listening to God's response as we ask boldly. It's not just about thinking that we always know best in every situation, but we have to be open to be guided by God to see what he wants as well to happen in this situation. We need to learn as well to, to, to pray in line with his will. We already talked a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. The line immediately before, give us today our daily bread, is what? Your will be done. We pray for our needs, knowing that actually our, before that, we want God's will to be done. I think as we pray for our needs, and as we come with humility, God can sometimes shift and shape our prayers and perhaps answer them in different ways than perhaps we might expect. But actually, we see the answers and we allow our hearts to be shaped when we're honest with God, I think, with our requests. There's a brilliant story. I love this um, uh, story. Uh, it's of a, of a Christian missionary who lived quite a while ago. Her, her name was Amy Carmichael, who, uh, when she was young, she wrote, wrote she had a diary. This is how, how we know this. Um, she, 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 yeah, she wrote about it a few times. When she was young, she used to pray continually. She didn't like her dark complexion. Uh, she wanted her eyes to, uh, she didn't want her brown eyes. She wanted them to be blue. She would pray regularly for her eyes to be blue and sometimes would keep them closed until she goes up to the mirror in the morning and open them, expecting them to be blue. And they never, they never turned. Um, they never turned blue, even though she kept praying this prayer a lot when she was, she was young. Anyway, uh, later in life, uh, Amy sensed the Lord calling her to go and be uh, a missionary, served in various places. She eventually ended up in India. And she actually went on to be one of the, she's still remembered there, one of the greatest missionaries to set foot in, in that land. She founded an orphanage and a school and a safe house for young girls. And do you know where she got these young girls? She would go into Hindu, Hindu temples and collect them. Uh, young girls that were left at, the, left at the altar that were often just taken off and then sold into slavery or prostitution. She would go in with her head covered, pretending to be an Indian person, scoop up these babies that were left there and take them back to orphanage, care for them and help them upbring. If her complexion, as she recalled, had changed to be pale and her blue eyes, she would never have been able to do that because she would have been, been recognized 
as she was going in and doing this and picking up these babies that she was pretending were her own. Amy learned that her unwanted brown eyes were actually a way of God enabling um, her to be of much greater use than perhaps how she wanted her physical appearance to be. Now, I know it's not always easy to know why God doesn't answer our prayers. But what I like about this story is Amy's disappointment with God for not answering that prayer did not stop her from listening to God and obeying him in other parts of her life. And as she did that, the answer to that unanswered request became clear. We come before God boldly with what we want. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small. We can pray for our eye color to change if we want. But what we must do is boldly ask, but come with a humility, listening, responding, and obeying God's call when he speaks back to us. And there's one other thing, or one other attitude I think God wants us to have when we come before him and, and ask him is he wants us to be persistent. He wants us to ask him continually. Let's go back to our um, story from, from Mark 9. We have this bold request from the father on behalf of the boy, first of the disciples. Already said he's not put off by the arguing with the teacher of the law, probably an intimidating crowd. And then he steps out, doesn't he, in boldness when Jesus uh, turns up and asks about, um, about what the argument's about even though the father probably wasn't involved in it. Um, and then we have this sort of challenging response from Jesus. If you can, everything's possible for him who believes. We then have his persistence and, and sort of more boldness, don't we, in, in his response. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You can almost see that like that, that hope against hope, where he's almost lost hope. Lost hope, there's probably like a little mustard seed in there, but he's not sure he, 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 has, he has enough. But yeah, he still wants, he's still going, he's still trying, even though perhaps hope is fading, he, he wants help. And he's just really honest with God and persistent in what he wants. His son's been suffering, as I said, for, for quite a long time. And ultimately, his response and his persistence in this matter is rewarded. Those of you who have been reading the, the prayer book that I waved up the front during the notices may have read this story about a, a preacher called, um, called Moody who um, is said to have had a, a list of 100 people or friends that he didn't know Christ, that he wanted to come to know Christ. And he would pray for them every day, these hundred people. And um, uh, whenever somebody came to Christ, he'd cross them off his list. And the story goes that um, he kept praying for them every day, and eventually he, he died. 96 of the hundred people on that list that he committed to pray for every day had come to Christ by the time he died. That, that, that left four those four 
that were left attended his funeral. And all four of them gave their life to Christ at Moody's funeral. Moody never got to see the answer <laughs> to his prayers in that, not in this life anyway, maybe he saw up in heaven. But he didn't see the answer, but he kept going, he kept persisting in prayer, even though he never got his answer in this life. But yet, God was listening and God answered them, even though Moody wouldn't have known it fully. He was probably too busy praising God. There is stuff that happens only when we pray. Prayer is incredibly powerful. The one final thing that I hope will give us the courage to be persistent in our prayer is the final verse that's in this reading. I don't know if you spotted it, what Jesus said. The boy's been healed, everyone's gone away. Disciples come to him and say, why couldn't we do that? What was Jesus' response? It wasn't, you can't do it, it's only me because I've got extra superpowers than you. His response was, this kind can only come out by prayer. There is stuff in this life that will only change if you pray about it. There's probably stuff that's happening in this world that only you really know that is happening and only you can effectively pray about it. That makes you the only person that can make a difference in that when you pray. Prayer is incredibly powerful. And as we said at the start of this course, we are made to pray. We are made to be in relationship, in conversation with God. And God wants you to come to him. He wants you to come boldly, to be open with him about what you really want. But he also wants you to be open to listen to him as well. And he wants you to do that day by day by day. That line from the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our stuff when we need it, when we can remember to think of you, bread, our occasional bread, our weekly on a Sunday bread. It's, no, what is it? Just give us today our daily bread. Come to God in prayer. Come to him persistently, boldly with humility. And stuff happens. Stuff will change because there's stuff that will only change through prayer. Can I invite the band to come?